a long time ago in a podcast far, far away. Absolutely not. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, curriculum developer, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Martha Sullivan, librarian, and man, I don't know, being a librarian is like, being a librarian is so much effort that it precludes the idea of having hobbies these days. <laughs> it is a double full-time job. Uh, podcaster, that's your other title. Sure. Uh, yeah, by virtue of the fact that you're currently doing this. Uh, so if this somebody is... wants to pay me to do it, oh yeah, I, I would... can add it to my titles. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would also accept uh, any sort of money or, you know, endorsements. Um, I'll hawk weird supplements. That's fine. Welcome to the first of what we're calling our independent studies. We're kind of changing the, the focus of the show a little bit. Rather than assigning specific homeworks that we then go into exhaustive detail on, we're just picking topics, themes, big ideas, and we're going to explore a lot of different homeworks uh, in those topics or themes. Bold of you to say that we're not going to go into exhaustive detail. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um... Uh, but th- this is hopefully going to be a little more of a wide-ranging conversation with, again, exhaustive detail. Uh, because we are um, maybe big dummies, uh, we are wading directly into the biggest hornet's nest of nerddom. Uh, one might even call it a wretched hive of scum and villainy of nerddom. Uh, we're talking Star Wars today. Uh, this came about because Martha rewatched all nine of the core Star Wars movies a couple months ago, ranked them, had some hot takes about them, uh, and I'm always down to have some Star Wars conversation. So we're sort of uh, gonna... Peter? Yes. Point of order. Point. I rewatched all of the theatrically released Star Wars movies. Ooh, including Star Wars The Clone Wars? No, because that wasn't a theatrically released movie. Yes, That's... it was. There was a... Wasn't that an animated short? It was. Well, like the... a... There was an animated show called, there were two animated shows yeah. called Star Wars The Clone Wars, but one of them had basically like an hour and a half long pilot episode theatrically released. Um, and it's the, the Star watched, Wars movie that nobody knows about. I mean, I watched whatever one General Grievous shows up in before he's in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, the good Jenny Tarkovsky uh, uh, animated. Yes, yeah. and then I got real mad at how cool he is in that. Yes. <laughs> and how much he sucks in Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Um, no, I watched I watched all nine of the uh, canon Skywalker saga and then also Rogue One and Solo. Good point. I, I forgot that Skywalker or that Solo and uh, Rogue One were also part of that watch and rank list. Uh, and... Spoiler for later in this episode, we're both going to have our ranked lists of those 11 movies, the core nine Skywalker sagas, plus uh, the two Star Wars stories that exist. Um, Yes, for reasons I cannot fully articulate, I decided that this was a valuable use of my time in this, the year of our Lord, well, in last, the year of our Lord, 2022, (laughs) um, because I am nothing if not self-aggrandizing and ultimately... (laughs) sadomasochistic uh it made for a fun not knowing you were doing this and looking at your letterbox one day and being like what what is martha doing (laughs) (laughs) why you you watch them you watch them in story chronology order correct 
I did. Yeah, which is what I very did much confused me. I was Twitter. like, why did Martha watch Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? What is going on? <laughs> uh, but before we get into any of that, and don't worry, we're going to be talking about not just the movies, but broader Star Wars nerddom and broader culture stuff in general. Um, but before we do any of that, it's only fair that we share with you what is stuck in our head this week. That's whatever piece of pop culture we want to be talking about. Uh, Martha, going to start with you. What is stuck in your head? So what I am still thinking about, I saw it about mm, two weeks ago or so, but we haven't done a stuck in our head in quite some time. And that is the movie Megan. Ooh, M3gan. Yes, it rules. I loved it so much. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I'm a big horror fan, and I love it when horror has a sense of humor about itself. One of the things that I truly dread is horror that, like, takes itself way too seriously. And Megan knows exactly what it's doing, knows exactly what it's here to do. Um, Allison Williams is truly our millennial horror queen. She's wonderful. Uh, I think she truly understands kind of what people expect from her in film projects and has gotten really good at either playing two type or playing like with your expectations of that like she did in uh get out um but yeah megan super fun had a great time went to see it in the theater uh i did my theatrical experience did include a whole parcel of preteens Hmm. who uh well, did made start it better or worse uh well they did s- one of them started crying hysterically during it because even though it is rated pg-13 i don't know that i would have selected the murder doll movie to bring my eight-year-old to ah by preteen you mean real preteen like child, yeah like child. eight to ten yeah eight to ten ish I-, I hear preteen i think 10 to 12 <laughs> Yeah. yeah, um, and I, there are probably some ten-year-olds in the world that could have a good fun, a good fun time with Megan. Uh, that was not this group. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I found it to be highly enjoyable. I'm 100% here for every sequel that they want to make. Um, yeah, I think it knew exactly what it was here to do, and it did it in 90 minutes. Love to see it. Uh, this is not my joke, and unfortunately, I don't remember who to credit this for, but the sequel should be called M-E-G-4-N, uh, just to really confuse things. Oh, yes, it should. It will not be, but it should be. <laughs> no, the sequel is already slated, and it is uh, working title Megan 2.0. Yeah, fair enough. But yes, you are not the first person to make that joke. I myself have made that joke. I do feel like they are leaving something on the table (laughs) by not. (laughs) I mean, like, like, like Star Wars, you called the first movie M3 again, the second movie Meg 4 in, and then later you can do the prequels of Megan 1 and Megan 2. Yeah, there, (laughs) there we go. Uh, Whoever made Megan, reach out to me. I'm I'm here as a story consultant. <laughs> yeah, I will say um, in relation to that, my one big like desire from the movie that I didn't get um, at some point during the final big confrontation, uh, Megan the doll refers to all the good times that she and Allison Williams had while Allison Williams was programming her, and it gets kind of weirdly sapphic. And I was like, that's the movie I would want to see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Megan, it's a good time. Nice. 
what is what's stuck in your head today? I've got a handful of things that could be stuck in my head, but I believe this will be the only chance. Uh, hopefully, this will be the only chance I'll have to talk about this. So it's a good opportunity as any to to chewhorn it in. Um, for Christmas, I got the book "The Overstory" by Richard Powers. Uh, this movie, trees. yes, this book, yes, trees, uh, was published in 2018. Um, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 2019, and I just heard about it in the year 2021. And I finally got around to, like, beginning to read it in 2022. I'm still not done. Uh, it's been... It, it, it is such a... When I have time to read it, I just, like, devour pages of it and devour time. I just haven't had a lot of time. Or brain capacity, because I had COVID in the middle of January and I wasn't reading a whole lot. Um... But I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I've got like 20 pages left, so hopefully by the next time we have an episode, I'll be done with it and I won't have it as a stuck in my head. Uh, it's inc- each, it is written incredibly at both a sentence level and then a paragraph level and then a larger structural level. Uh, it is it is really a like each level of writing. It is incredible to read uh it's very powerful uh it's very fun it's making me think a lot about trees uh because that's basically what the book is about um uh the wiki summary is uh, it's a book about nine americans whose unique life experiences with trees bring them together to address the destruction of the forests and that's technically accurate but that sounds like a not interesting book and actually it's a very interesting book um partly because it takes place kind of at a tree-ish time span. Uh, we're, we're covering the entire lives of these humans rather than, than you know, three months in their lives. Um, even if they... May I tell you? Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. May I tell you the journey that I went on when I first heard of this book? Uh, yes. I thought that it was written by the same author who wrote The Hot Zone. I don't know The Hot Zone. Uh, the Hot Zone is a book that came out in 1994 that is about Ebola and Marburg <laughs> and the initial breakouts uh, Richard of Richard Preston. That. Yes. Yeah. So I was hearing all of these fantastic things about the overstory and going, well, I mean, The Hot Zone was okay, but like, maybe he's just really gotten better in his writing (laughs) (laughs) for the last 20 years uh turns out they are not by the same people um overstory is richard powers hot zone is richard preston i did go on a bit of a journey wondering how somebody who started in um covering medical journalism could move to writing this big epic story about trees and it turns out that he did not so yeah (laughs) that is the semi-pointless journey that i went on with the overstory (laughs) Uh, well, Richard Powers, the author of The Overstory, um, grew up in Evanston and went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, and there's, like, for as much of the of this movie taking place on the West Coast as it does, it also takes place a lot in the Midwest. So as good... And there's an Oak Park name drop in an early section. Uh, so, you know, as good Midwesterners... Uh, and Chicagoland area-ers uh, always got to shout that out. Um, and it clearly is written by someone who knows the area and isn't just making nonsense up about it. Fabulous. That's yeah. all I ask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so that is going to do it for what's stuck in our head. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, <laughs> buckle up. It's all Star Wars. And we are back, realizing I absolutely sh should have made some sort of, like, chewy punch-it reference as we were going on break, but it's too late for that. So here we are coming out of hyperspace. Uh, you should feel free to curtail these impulses. Um, <laughs> Do more of them? <laughs> Got it. Sounds great. Uh Oh my god! This uh, is this is exactly like the scene in Solo when he gets his name in the stupidest way possible. Yep, that scene alone cost that movie half a star. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're back and we're talking Star Wars. We're not gonna do like you know a blow by blow of each movie, but this is just your blanket top of the the episode spoiler of hey, we're gonna be talking all these Star Wars movies and stuff. So general spoiler. I believe the most recent, I mean, we might be talking Andor, which just came out. Beyond that, the most recent one we're talking is probably The Rise of Skywalker, which came out pre-pandemic. So at this point, 2019. You know, yeah. At this point, you've, you know, your chance to see it has passed. So here we are. Um, we've lost Also, just, don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a completionist, fine, go watch it. But agreed, not worth your time. Uh, so we have Look, sort of we're mil we're millennial nerds. It, Star Wars is baked into our DNA, even if you are like me, and you know wants to make claims about Star Wars not mattering to me until I was a fully grown human adult. Um, I I think that there are some ways in which us recording this episode were inevitable. Uh, thank you for using the force and anticipating what I was going to start this conversation with, which was what is our history with Star Wars? Um, so obviously, based on what you just said, you want to pretend that you didn't come to it till The Force Awakens. But oh, sure. before that, other than simply like the nerd waters in which you swam, you saw the original trilogy. You probably did I end up seeing one of the prequel movies with you? Quite possibly. So yeah, my relationship with Star Wars, um, as a small child, I I saw my parents showed me the original movies. Um my dad my parents were twenty-two when A New Hope originally released in theaters. So like they grew up or didn't grow up with it, but like they were there, you know, when the deep magic was written. Um I did not connect to Star Wars in any meaningful way until The Force Awakens. But again, I'm a nerd. Like, this is part of... I'm, I'm a nerd and I'm friends with nerds. <laughs> right, so, like, you have to be fluent in Star Wars-ese. Yes. So, like, I did see the prequels. I saw all the prequels in the theater because I was dating somebody who was ride or die for Star Wars. Um, I have... I was familiar like i i was conversant in them but i did not emotionally get it until i watched the force awakens um that was the first movie that i watched and it was not like flipping a switch but it did make me stand back and go okay 
I understand why this is so deeply resonant to people. Um, and we can talk about the virtues of J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker, but I do think that at least in The Force Awakens, part of what he is doing is reviving a property that had been through a lot. And he was reviving it from the perspective of, of somebody that really loved the um loved the world loved the stories and when we're talking about the force awakens i think that echoing a lot of the things that he loved about the original movies like that was an acceptable time to do that yeah so yeah so i got out of force awakens and i was like i'm hyped this like these are characters that i love um and i i get it i get it now and I, I did not really, like, I appreciated it, but I didn't really get it before that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars was in t- extremely formative for me, to me, in two directions. Uh, the first is I have a very strong, like, <laughs> my personal memory is very bad, as anyone who knows me will tell you. Uh, I know a lot of random useless nonsense about Star Wars stuff or history or whatever. But if you're like, Pete, what were you doing three weeks ago? I'd be like, I have no idea. Uh, but I <laughs> but I have a very strong core memory of when I was in like kindergarten or younger, having gone to a friend of my parents' house and they had like a big screen TV and surround sound. So this TV was probably what, like 36 inches? It was like 1993. So so how big of a big screen TV are we talking? Um but they they had, like, just in the course of this party, they had Return of the Jedi on. And I remember standing there having no idea what I was watching or experiencing because I had never seen anything like it before. Um, the speeder bike chase, I, I was enraptured by. And then, like, when uh, anytime it would cut to the Emperor, I remember being terrified. Um, so that's a very strong, deep, early memory of mine. Um and the other formative aspect is that Star Wars basically kept me as a reader. Like, it made me go from someone who read into a reader. When I was in third grade, an older cousin gave me some, like, um, it was like a, a children's star, like a YA, before YA existed, uh, Star Wars book series, uh, Young Jedi Knights. Um and he gave me, like, the third book in the series, and that did not matter. I started reading it, and I was instantly hooked. And, like, that is that is my story of, like, how I became a reader. So Star Wars was deeply influential and, like, part of my DNA all the way up until high school, where it remained incredibly important, but obviously the second two prequel movies kind of burned me. Like, I had fun on the third. I remember not liking the second. Um the second one is bad the second one is bad actually. right and like and that was exactly the age like i i saw phantom menace probably two or three times in theaters and i was in sixth grade which was maybe old enough to like start being critical about movies but it was star wars so i was deeply not critical about it also it's got darth maul so like who cares it's great <laughs> um and so like i was not critical about that by the time the second one came out i'm like oh this is um this is not good. Uh, and then the third was, like, fine. But I wasn't, you know, I, I I was cautious about it. And then I did not care about any of the increasingly, like, convoluted 
side media in a way where before I had been all in on like the X-Wing books and all, all these various other books um, and like extended universe properties. So there was sort of a like Star Wars was both like the formative nerd uh, like media for me. And also the first nerd media I kind of grew out of in a way, where at some point I was just like, I'm not interested in following these stories anymore. Partway through the uh, the New Jedi Order book series, which has like the Yuzen Vong, and the first one has Chewie get killed when a, a moon gets dropped on on him. Um, you know, like 10, I have no idea, eight, eight or so books in that series, I just kind of stopped reading it. Um, which, yeah, was sort of that moment of just being like, yeah. I, I still love Star Wars, but I don't need to continue to follow Star Wars. And I can play with these toys over here that I like. And I don't have to get the other toys or interact with them in any meaningful way. Um, the, the only Star Wars book that I read as a child um, was the novelization of The Phantom Menace. Which I, I, I also read, read that. <laughs> six times, Peter. <laughs> Uh, I, I know for a fact I read that probably more than once, probably not six times, but. Well, and here's the thing. It's better than the movie. <laughs> like, it is better than the movie by virtue of not having been written by George Lucas. <laughs> yes, right. And... <laughs> Someone who can actually write dialogue and convey emotions did those things. Actually, like, demonstrating the interiority of the characters. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I. I saw all of them. I did not care. Um, when I was a small child, the thing that I cared about were the Ewoks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, up to and including the Ewok adventure, which as a 10 year old, I would have told you was far and away the best Star Wars movie. Um, because they were cute. And, and I it's a cartoon them. for children. Yeah. <laughs> and you were a child. <laughs> Um, I was not able to sit through The Empire Strikes Back until I was an adult human being. Um, too scary or too boring? Too boring. Oh, my God. Mm. As a child, I could not clock what was happening, and I didn't care. Like, that was the thing. Because it was not something that I uh, grokked onto immediately, I didn't have a reason to be, like, invested in the characters, like... There are some kind of fun action adventure parts of A New Hope, but as soon as you get through the Hoth battle sequence in Empire, it's not a super kid-friendly movie. Um, right, we got like our, our will they, won't they with Han and Leia, and we got like Luke hanging out in Dagobah for an hour. And, you know, if, if we're talking about somebody who at the age of 10 or 12 thought the highest and best use of adventure media was like, Jurassic Park. Mm, Empire mm. Strikes Back is pretty boring. I yep. feel the need to reiterate as, as, as a fan this of is how I felt <laughs> as a child. As a fan of both Empire and Jurassic Park, I'm like, when you compare those two, yeah, one of those movies moves along at a clip, and the other one meanders a little. Well, and we don't need to talk at this moment about which one I think is the better movie. Um but I, I I do think that A New Hope is a movie that goes down easy for a kid, and Empire is not. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a pretty hardcore tonal shift that happens there um, that if you are not, like, 
all in hook, line and sinker on the world, I, I don't think is, e is an easy pivot to make. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, do we want to talk any about Star Wars as a cultural phenomenon? You've got this on our, our list. I th like us, yeah, us talking so... about this now is kind of skirting around that anyway. So sort of a natural segue there. I need you to know that my husband right now is making angry face and pointing at me because because you are disparaging presumably. Empire. <laughs> <laughs> we we should have had him on this episode, except for then it would have been <laughs> him explaining why you're wrong about <laughs> about your takes. <laughs> um. So this, I was actually, I was talking to my mother about this the other day because she has a very hard time understanding why people get mad when they don't like something or hmm. when somebody, or when somebody criticizes something that they like. And I had to explain to her the phenomenon of um, how sometimes when people like something very, very much, uh, it sort of becomes a stand-in for their personality and I think that this has become a bigger phenomenon with the normalization of geek culture. Like, for a long time, especially, like, not when the movies were first coming out, but, like, when you and I were teenagers, liking Star Wars as much as the people that we knew liked Star Wars was a, like, nerdy thing. And to be a nerd was bad. <clears throat> yes i mean the the fact oh. that i the fact that i can still tell you that the medical forget was a nebulon b uh you know medical forget in empire it's like first off thank you brain for carrying that information around for 30 years uh <laughs> yeah i did not ask you to admit that so that's all on you um but i do think that what has what that sublimated into is that like it's not just that we like star wars it's that liking star wars is who we are and you know, you can sub in Star Wars for Star Trek um, or Lord of the Rings or anything that is sort of Comics. like a, it used to be a geek or niche passion. Yeah. Um, and so then if somebody criticizes that thing, it feels like they're criticizing you. Mm -hmm. And because we live in the age of social media that we do and everyone can just share their opinion willy nilly and everybody oh how do i how do i put this next part into words people think that they're being revolutionary if they say oh this thing is bad actually like i i feel like we went through a cultural phase of being like i'm edgy because i didn't like the new star wars <clears throat> but that meant that anytime you said i don't like the new star wars somebody has to come up and be like you're wrong, and I have to tell you why you're wrong. And nobody really knows how to keep their opinion to themselves anymore, which is my roundabout way of connecting to, it's because our opinions have become, our opinions and the things that we like and the things that we consume have become representative of our personalities. And I think we really saw that with the new, the, the most recent trilogy of the Skywalker saga. Yeah. Like, a new uh or the force awakens i feel like everybody was generally okay with saying that was a fun movie like you did get people who wanted to whine about ray because they are sexist and if you put women or people of color into their sci-fi they have to tell you why that sucks but the, the the general takeaway on force awakens was eh, 
it's basically a warmed over New Hope, but it was fun and we like these new characters and, you know, and it, looked, it, was it looked good and it was a good time at the movies. And, and it, it was certainly better than the last time we did Yes, this. yes, exactly. So then you get The Last Jedi, which we will get into our rankings in a little bit, um, but... We, we both the like last, The Last... We are both Last Jedi defenders. Very, very much so. Um, what, what happens with The Last Jedi is that you get somebody who I still believe, and I have not read any interviews with Ryan Johnson, but I don't think you can make a Star Wars thing at this point unless you love Star Wars. So it is very clear to me watching The Last Jedi that Ryan Johnson, the director, is coming at it from a similar place to J.J. Abrams. This is something that he loves. However, he is interested in interrogating some of the fundamental truths about the world and the setting. And I think that made people really mad. Because I think they watched The Last Jedi and what they heard was you're, you're bad and stupid for liking this thing because we're deconstructing this thing. I don't think that's what the movie is saying, but I think that's what a lot of people got from that. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, I'm thinking through that. I, um, Like, Poe's storyline in other... The Last Jedi... Poe's storyline in The Last Jedi is a real point of contention for a lot of people because... Poe's character, like, Poe is filling in the Han Solo archetype in The Last Jedi. And ultimately, what he does and the choices that he makes in that movie are really bad and damaging. He's not operating with all of the information. He thinks that he is right and he is not, and it ends up being incredibly destructive to people that we care about. And that, I mean, a lot of people criticized that because it's not, I mean, it's not a happy thing. It's so, not an optimistic thing. So I, 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 th I think, yeah, finish your thought. I was just going to say, I, th I think that a lot of people were seeing that and hearing if you, um, like if you looked up to this kind of character, if you looked up to Han Solo, that that was a bad thing to do. So, and as, I think a lot of people took that personally. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't disagree with your analysis here. I'm thinking of. I'm. I'm, I'm coming at it from a slightly different direction, and I've got two sort of These thoughts two. here. Yeah. Um. The first, and and so I'll I'll go with sort of the less related thought first, and then the more direct thought. Um. I think there's a very interesting, and I, I think it's a generational gap in Star Wars fandom. There's, you know, Gen X and millennials, or like older millennials, people like us, who are fully on, on the like, first trilogy great, second trilogy dumb, third trilogy bit of a mixed bag. And, uh, and that... In general, I think our older demographic is pro-Last Jedi and anti-Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I'm, I'm basing I don't think this, that's true. I, I was going to say, I'm basing that purely on vibes, and I have no data ba to back that up. Um, I was going to say, the, the data that I have in contrast to that is, first of all, a 
group of men that you and I went to high school with who were giant Star Wars devotees Mm -hmm. went to see The Last Jedi and posted some of the most dramatic Facebook BS (laughs) the next day (laughs) about how it had like just totally killed the property for them. Um, I also think that because of subsequent because of the subsequent Clone Wars TV shows, there's a lot of revisionist history well, out there. Th- that's actually that exactly cast, what I was going to bring up. Um, that casts the prequels in a more positive light. I used to play a game called Imperial Assault uh, pretty regularly at a game store out in Mont Prospect, and the people that I was playing with were um, generally like five to ten years older than me. Or around the same age as me. And there were so many prequel apologists in this group, Peter. Okay, so so interesting. My the only pe- the only person I know who's a prequel apologist is a few years younger than me. And he was hardcore into these into the Clone War TV shows. So it might not be a generational thing, it might just be a purely what Star Wars media have you consumed? Because I think there's a strong I I, I think there's a big gap between people who are just like i'm gonna go to the movies or like i like star wars as films and people who are then like i am into the star wars like the not not just the new disney plus shows but like the clone war shows the star wars rebels uh all those that then cast the prequels in a totally different light and as you say has created this insane revisionism that says the prequels were good actually um and I, I had always assumed this yes. was a generational um, thing where kids who were younger, like kids who were 10 when Attack of the Clones came out, had fond nostalgic memory of it. And that's why there's this new uh, prequel revisionism. Uh, but yeah. The... Well, I mean, Phantom Menace came out in 2001. Yeah. So I uh, no, was... came out No, Phantom Menace came out in 99. You were in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. Okay. So I was 12. So we are still talking about people who were like 10, 10 to 12 mm-hmm. when Phantom Menace came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I can't really speak for people that are younger than me because I am not friends with a whole lot of people that are. Right. Um, and I, I should say my, the, the one person who is younger than me, who loves the, the Clone Wars TV shows and stuff is like three years younger than me, which is kind of a bit of a, like, yeah, whatever, you're the same age. <laughs> you're you're both I over 30. S- <laughs> what I will say is that what I was finding in conversations with many people, and I would like to just pause and say that my husband is a an exception to this. Um, he is also a Last Jedi fan and Rise of Skywalker not fan. Um, this this does kind of and is my also, theory that that older older people liked Last Jedi more because it's a little more and, and this will go into my second point but it's a little more complex. I was gonna say that's it's why I wanted more... to talk about this yeah because yeah Bill is Bill is as ride or die for Star Wars as anyone can be um and so I just want to say that this is not true for everybody um but. In general, what I was finding just in conversations that I was having, and again, none of this is scientific research, and we are speaking in generalizations because that's all we can do. Yep. Um, But the people who liked The Last Jedi 
were not, I don't think would necessarily characterize themselves as Star Wars fans, at least not so much as any of us would like. I mean, at this point, everyone is a Star Wars fan. Right. It's, it's it on is, Disney. It, yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is the media that we consume. Everyone knows. Everyone is, is at least functionally literate in Star Wars. Yes. Um, so yeah, what I was finding is that people who enjoyed going to the movies and went to see The Last Jedi because it was the big, it was the big movie in theaters at that point, had a good time. Um, because it's a really well-made movie. It's, it is the best-looking movie of the year 2019. I'm saying shooting from the hip. Uh. And it was a lot of people that I would have, that I had known for a very long time as being like, um, absolute end of days Star Wars fans who were the ones saying like how disappointed in it they were. So my so my my other point on on Rise of Skywalker is that one reason why I think real ride or die Star Wars fans did not like it is that Star Wars tends to be very Manichaean in its worldview. It's very black or white. Like the Sith are bad and the Jedi are good. And the whole point of Rise of Sky, or not the whole point, um, but one of the angles of The Last Jedi is throwing in shades of gray. So, like, I get the, I, I get it that if you're coming into a story looking for the good guys are good and wear white hats and the bad guys are bad and wear black hats, um, you might not like, like, well, maybe the, the, maybe there's, it's not such a clear cut worldview. Um, to which I say, I don't know, grow up a little. <laughs> <laughs> which is the other this, motif of the movie. <laughs> I think this also goes back to what I was saying before, is that I do think part of Last Jedi is asking us to examine the things that we've taken for granted in previous movies. Like it is questioning a lot of themes and motifs that popped up in um, the movies that came before it. And I think it is doing it in a very respectful way, mm -hmm. but I can also see how somebody would be like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I love these movies. I just want to love these movies. I don't really want to think about them too hard, which honestly is insane because they're about war and genocide right, and right, yes. <laughs> slavery and all of and this fasc stuff. fascism. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I do think that that tends to be why the more challenging stuff that takes place in the Star Wars universe is the stuff that gets critiqued harder. So one one interesting little wrinkle in in this whole conversation is that uh, myself and my first younger brother Mark are both big Star Wars guys. Uh, my my uh, of of my two brothers and myself, I am the biggest Star Wars nerd hands down. But Mark's also a big yes. Star Wars nerd. We both loved Last Jedi. My youngest mm -hmm. brother Kev was always the least nerdy of the group. Fully enjoyed Star Wars because how could you not? Uh, especially growing up with two older brothers, one of whom was me. Um, but he did not like Last Jedi. He he fully. He didn't think it was a good movie. He did not like it. I don't know if he even saw Rise of Skywalker, not because he was like, his, his argument was never this ruined my childhood or this ruined Star Wars. He was just like, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't have fun. But he wasn't coming at it from a huge Star Wars nerd angle. He was coming at it from a like, I know Star Wars and I like seeing movies in the theaters. Uh, so that's, that is sort of the one counterpoint of most of the people who hated Last Jedi were ride or die star wars guys well again there's we, always an exception <laughs> we can only talk in generalizations like yeah understand that what we say is not going to be true um i think in general 
The Last Jedi was very critically well-received, like from professional critics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with a low audience score. I mean, part of that also, we come back to the, I don't want women in my Star yep. Wars and I don't want people of color in my Star Wars. Yep. I mean, the way that Kelly Marie Tran was treated after that movie came out is embarrassing. And it's, um, I, I will say that, uh, first off, it it's outrageous both how she was treated and how Disney did not, like, protect her. Un- or John Boyega. Or John Boyega. Uh, I mean, John Boyega is actually very open about... Being um, thrown to the wolves. Yes. Yeah. And I, I do think that, uh, from what I've heard about more recent Disney-owned media properties and their response to fan fans mobbing actors, Disney learned lessons from this and is now a little more protective of its actors uh, than than they had been, partly because I think that that this this backlash was kind of the first time this was happening outside of like Ahmed Best having a horrible experience as Jar Jar. Um, but that was sort of such an outliery case. Like it was like it was also, one actor well, and he's also, all CGI and all the rest, but also actor of color. Um also the poor kid who played baby Anakin. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh I mean he Jake Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. Mm-hmm. I mean, he basically, like, that was, like, the first and last thing that he ever made because he was treated so poorly. And as a child. Yeah, like like an eight-year-old who... Feel the way you want to feel about those movies. He he was a child when he made them, and and the quality of those movies is not on him. And he was being directed by George Lucas, famously a bad director of actors. You know, so, like if, yeah. if if you had a good director of actors directing a kid, maybe you would have gotten something out of it. But like that's not on him. He's eight. He's just doing what he's told. He's excited. He's in Star Wars. I was gonna say he's an eight year old who got like a dream job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I think the history of Star Wars fans being incredible assholes, um. To the parts of long and their movies is long and storied. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, can we just talk for a moment about? Actually, no, I don't want to. I was about to say let's talk for a moment about fan entitlement, and then I realized that we did as much as I wish to. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one thing I'm interested in with Star Wars, and it's it's something that I. Uh, this might be bad conversation because uh, it's more just me being like, here's some thoughts I have. Okay. Uh, is sort of like the sprawling nature of Star Wars. Um, I think it's the first, or it's it's the property that comes to mind the most other than comic books where it is so, the universe is so large and over so much different and varied media. Um and this this goes back to the early 90s where you had like the, the movies and then you know various holiday specials and droids and ewoks but then Timothy Zahn comes out with the um like his Thrawn trilogy and from there it's an explosion of books and games and all this rest that's that's the the original extended universe which was kind of i think the first time that a media property had exploded like this and i think it's what made Star Wars fandom as deep and as powerful as it was 
for both good reasons, people are excited about all this new storytelling that's like expanding the universe that they are enjoying and also bad reasons. Hey, here's a bunch more gatekeeping we can do to keep, you know, now we have more and more shibboleths we can use to to decide who's a a real fan and knows that IG-88 was actually the Death Star's core shooting the the Death Star 2 lasers and those idiots who don't know that because they haven't read that one weird short story in that one bounty hunter book. (laughs) Um... And then I kind of I kind of love so like yes all of that is absurd um but I kind of love that Disney rolled in and was just like well, none of that that's, stuff that's, that you've that's, been talking about for decades <laughs> matters That's anymore. what I was going to say like I mean that was the stuff that I knew and cared about so like I I stopped paying attention to Star Wars media during that time period but like wow, I have a lot of useless knowledge about, like, the X-Wing books that I read when I was in fifth grade or whatever. Um, Yeah, and then Disney rolls in and, like, does a hard reboot. It's, like, the only thing that's canon is movies. Okay. But now, since then, there has been another huge explosion of media, both uh, TV shows, books, video games, like, the whole thing, and it's all still crazy interconnected. So Star Wars has had two enormous edifices of multimedia storytelling construction that people either like people quote unquote have to follow and be aware of and that's like the David Filoni thing of like having all that information in your head and building your stories around that or doing more of the Ryan Johnson thing and saying like whatever I have a story that I want to tell I'm not going to pay any attention to that nonsense. I'm going to tell the Star Wars story that I want to tell. Uh, and Loki, I'm going to say you should, you know, tell your own story. Don't be beholden to 20 years of, uh, you know, precedent. Uh, throw it away if it's not useful to to what you want to do with Star Wars. Um, and I, like, the only thing I can think of that that compares to this is comic books but up until, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything, comic books were, like, crazy big sprawling, telling these very complicated stories, but always through the medium of comic books. There was never this, like, movies and card games and video games and books and comic books and, you know, TV shows and all the all these other moving parts, which we all consider canon. Um, and then we, we, re- and re- so. we rebuilt the whole thing. <laughs> I got so exhausted just listening to you talk about that. I need you to understand how annoyed I was when I went to see Revenge of the Sith in the theater. And I was like, why is this droid coughing? And the guy that I was dating at the time was like, started to tell me about the Clone Wars animated show. And I was like, no, I don't want to do homework to enjoy this movie. In a way, I still feel that way. That's what the Marvel like cinematic universe has become in a way, which is sort of that's true and i resent i resent that (laughs) about those movies as well yeah one of the reasons that i am so in and out with comics is because i want to read the stuff i want to read and i don't want to feel like i've missed a huge thing by not having read like a crossover event Mm -hmm. i think the most the most successful marvel movies to me are the ones that reward you for having seen the previous stuff but don't require it yep Yep. And I think or, the same or thing. Also, asterisks, things like Infinity War and Endgame, where it's like, this is the culmination of 20 movies, and like you just have to have have that buy-in already. Like, we we are doing long-form storytelling. 
you we get to do this once or twice. We cannot do this every movie. Sure, but the the flip side to that is that if I am only interested in watching the Black Panther movies and I don't go see Endgame, mm-hmm. I should be able to find Wakanda Forever just as rewarding than if I had seen Endgame. Right, or uh, not rewarding, depending on how successfully you think Wakanda Forever pulled off what it was. I haven't actually seen it yet, so that ah. was maybe a bad excuse <laughs> or a bad <laughs> example. Um, but I I still think that the best or the the Star Wars properties that I enjoy engaging with the most are the ones that have not asked me to do homework. I cannot tell you how annoyed I was when the Mandalorian was like, here's a bunch of people from the Clone Wars. And yep. I was like, I'm done. Yep. I, I, I finished that series, but I was like, you know, it's cool. Mandalorians. Wait, who is, uh, who's Starbuck playing? Oh, someone from like a Rebels TV show? Don't care about any of that. No, no, don't care. Uh, um, I mean, weren't, weren't you excited that the opening crawl of Rise of Skywalker is the dead speak, a reference to a Fortnite event? Hmm? Hmm? Isn't this good? I have, I have a lot of feelings about how Rise of Skywalker disrespected its audience. <laughs> Uh, the opening crawls the opening crawls have always done a lot of heavy lifting but it's been heavy lifting in terms of set dressing like the opening crawls have always felt like here is the newsreel for everything that's happening around the story that you're about to watch but does not actually which which makes like, sense because could, like they're, they're you from could tune old, out like, <laughs> you like, could tune out for those crawls they're, they're and be lifted like, directly oh, from like 1940s flash gordon serials which was a previously on Right. So right. so that's what like the crawls have always been previously ons, um, yeah, which is fine. The crawl, in, the crawl in Rise of Skywalker is 100 percent. We didn't know how to incorporate this into the movie. So we're just going to write it down for you. Yeah. It's yeah. so lazy. Yeah. And 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 again, annoying because it's literally referencing some like Fortnite event, which. Oh, my God, who cares? Why is Which this is both hilarious and infuriating to me. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what I will say about the current comics is that Kieran Gillen wrote the Darth Vader comic for a while, and that ruled. Um, um, he you, also you a wrote Kieran a character. Gillen. Yes, he also wrote a character called Doctor Afra, who is a space archaeologist who gets uh, contracted to work for Vader for a while, and also she has two droids that are like the murder versions of R2D2 and C3PO. <laughs> she also rules. Um that is as much as I know about the comics. Right, and I'll be honest, what I know about the Star Wars comics is the Dark Empire series from the mid 90s, which featured a revived clone of Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, I I've read I've read a lot of the newer stuff like after um you know, post Disney merger. Yeah. Um, now, now canon. Is, yeah. So the when Marvel started publishing um, mm. the Star Wars license, right? Yeah, because it used to be. Um, but Dark there's Wars. some good stuff there. Yes, um, but the Phasma book was great. Um, the Princess Leia book was great. Yeah, I they've they've been fun. But yes, I cannot speak to. Rogue Squadron or X-Wing or any of the comics that came before because I, I just didn't read them. Right, right. Well, and, and really what I was just getting is like, the, like Star Wars is this weird, big, sprawling universe across all sorts of media 
which is getting once again increasingly bogged down in its own mythology and the people who are super into it such as your husband uh are like are super into it partly for that reason but then like <laughs> regulars like more like us although we're also deeply nerds um <laughs> lol so, yeah like <laughs> regulars parentheses within the star wars fandom <laughs> um i i don't i think it's an i can't tell if like random rebels character showing up a mandalorian is a, a turnoff uh for most people or if it's a total like i don't know who that person is so i'm just gonna keep on keeping on with the show that i like um you know it's for like me it's, it's boring like because as you say as you say the universe is huge so why do we keep treading like, over why the do these people keep showing characters. up? Yeah. Yeah. And like in, in, in Mando, it makes sense that like other Mandalorians show up and it's like, okay, if they're from some other show, fine. I don't, as long as you don't assume I have any vested interest or knowledge of these characters, I'm okay. Especially because like Starbucks is playing one of them. So this is cool. Uh, but then once you Although start- they started talking about the Black Saber and my eyes crossed and I yeah, passed away. That, that was part of it. Uh, because again, it's like Black Saber. I'm like, ugh, I know that's a thing. I know I'm supposed to know about that. <laughs> and that's the problem. It's like, I'm supposed to know about that. Why am I supposed to know about that? I'm a big Star Wars nerd. I should not have any, I should not need to know about that. Like, no one should. It's fine. Don't, don't include it unless you're going to do the groundwork to make it important within that story. Don't, no, I don't just presuppose want... that I know about it from this other story. I just want my cute Western space stories about Lone Wolf and a Cub. dad who keeps <laughs> a dad who keeps accidentally making friends <laughs> with people who love his adopted son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like when, when Luke showed up at the end of the second season, that made that was the only time a Skywalker has shown up where I've been like, fine, this actually makes sense within the story and I'm not bored. But I was still kind of like, ugh, fine, we have to deal with this guy. I was gonna say, I up. still kinda wanted to vomit. It was it was uh, the best execution of something that I still hate. So rank these movies for me. Yeah, all right. So I think we're gonna wrap up here and just rank our movies. Uh I guess I'm going first, because you put me on the spot there. Um also, we're not wrapping up because we haven't talked about Andor yet, but rank those movies. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, so no, at number 11, at the bottom of my saw, uh, at bottom of my list is Attack of the Clones. Uh, I'm not going to go deep into these in general, but Attack of the Clones, I think, is always going to be my bottom option. Not only because it's a disaster of a film and it looks bad, but because it was so deeply disappointing to me that the Clone Wars, this weird, cool idea, a throwaway line that Alec Guinness says in, like, the original, like, In A New Hope. The Clone Wars could be about anything. Clones fighting clones. Oh, are we cloning Jedi? Are they fighting other Jedi? Whoa, what's going on? Nope, it's clones of Boba Fett's clone dad fighting droids. Wow, that is the, over, like, trade disputes. That is the least interesting interpretation of something called the Clone Wars you could ever come up with. Um... And for that reason alone, I think it's always going to be my number 11. Uh, number 10 is The Phantom Menace. Number 9 is Revenge of the Sith, the best looking of the three, partly just because technology, you know, caught up. Uh, number 8 is The Rise of Skywalker. 
Um, Rise of Skywalker looks good for the most part, but oh my god, is it does it do a disservice to the the whole trilogy of the new stuff? Um, it it's a very petty movie and and lazy. Uh, number seven is Solo. Didn't really like it. Uh, then there's a big jump in quality as I get to number six, which is The Force Awakens. Number five, which is Return of the Jedi, uh, which is only number five because I like everything else more. But I love, I love The Force Awakens and I love Return of the Jedi. So to me, there's really two buckets here. Um, Attack of the Clones through Solo. Very low bucket. Big jump in quality. Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi. Number four is Rogue One. Number three is A New Hope. Number two is The Last Jedi, and number one is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and I would not argue with anyone if they shuffled the order of those top three for me. And if you want to throw Return of the Jedi up higher because you think it's more fun, uh, I'm not going to fight you on that one either. Um, yeah, I, So I, we, we disagree in a couple of places that are very interesting. And how recently have you watched these movies um i watched the rise of skywalker three days ago because of this podcast mm -hmm. <laughs> so that one is fresh when i put it down low um i haven't seen attack of the clones since maybe the theaters i've seen phantom menace in the past five years um and i've seen empire new hope and jedi in the pa basically i've seen them all in the past five years except for uh, Revenge of the Sith and Phantom Menace. Partly because Solo came out in the last five years. Rogue One came out in the last five years. Uh, sure. I'm not criticizing any of your rankings. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I ask is one of the biggest sort of revelations for me on rewatching them all, particularly rewatching them all um, right in a row. Well, I, I have not that... done that ever. So I, I, you know, it's very much like in isolation. There's also a lot of nostalgia coloring some of this. So uh, continue. Sure. So I have Phantom Menace at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And until I rewatched them, I would have told you that Attack of the Clones was the worst one. And the reason I ultimately rank it higher than Phantom Menace is because it truly feels like in between the two of those movies, um, Natalie Portman or her agent went to George Lucas and said... We're going to ignore you now because the jump in quality for the performances between those movies hmm. is such that I can't really articulate it. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, everyone in The Phantom Menace is a, is a two by four. And it's not much better in Attack of the Clones, but Natalie Portman is at least allowed to like emote. <laughs> I, I think part of the and, problem, and after watching a bunch of clips of Attack of the Clones, like 45 minutes before we started recording, he decides to make Jedi his main characters, and then he also decided to make Jedis, like, on paper, be unfeeling Zen monks, and that just makes deeply, un like, <laughs> I guess that, that works in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but the whole point is that they are repressing all of their emotions that will come out through ooh. their fighting, whereas in this, they're but just, attack like, non-emotional creatures. <laughs> Well, an Attack of the Clones does try to interrogate that, and in the hand of a better writer, I think it would have done a better job. Mm -hmm. I also think that Attack of the Clones shows that you can really just skip Phantom Menace. Like, there's almost nothing that happens in Phantom Menace that matters, and I think ultimately it ends up hurting the series 
in a lot of ways. Um, my, my, my counterpoints. My... Yeah, mm-hmm. my, my my only counterpoints is Darth Maul's real cool and Duel of the Fates rocks. You only think that because you were ten when that movie came out. Darth Maybe. Maul sucks and he's boring. I mean, he's boring, but like that double blade lightsaber fight scene is really cool. Uh, and also there are there are practical locations and practical effects in the movie that just that Attack of the Clones does not have. So it just looks. How can a you tell? Better. Oh, see, I disagree completely. I think Phantom Menace looks boring and drab and beige. There is exa- There are exactly two set pieces in Phantom Menace that are exciting. They are the pod race and they are that last um, the, lightsaber fight. Yeah, and just the lightsaber fight because the the spaceship battle is boring. Uh, but like, yes. N- Naboo is like in a in an actual location. That's neat. Wouldn't it be cool if we'd spent more time there? Yep. Um. So, yeah, I have Phantom Menace at 11. I have Attack of the Clones at 10. I have Rise of Skywalker at 9. I could not in good conscience put it higher than that. Um, I think that it is a better made movie than Revenge of the Sith, but I think it is a worse part of a series. Um, I think that the contempt that it has for me, the viewer, is insulting. Um, and, and contempt and... for Ryan Johnson. Like, it, it, is, it, is, yes. a, it is actively a... It is an active kiss-off and rejection of the movie that came before. So I have Revenge of the Sith at 8, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from my newsletter where I break down the last three movies and, uh, uh, in the is, saga. What is that newsletter? Uh, it is tinyletter.com backslash Martha. Great. And I did three three different issues where I kind of tracked... Um, my feelings about these Star Wars movies as an adult human. And I say, uh, is it a better movie than the prequels? Certainly. The performances are great. It looks great. But is it a better Star Wars movie than the prequels? Absolutely not. How does one rank it? One splits the difference. Revenge of the Sith has goals and vision and very little active racism. It serves a purpose. It has design. Rise of Skywalker is better paced and better acted than Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones even if it is at the end simply a bunch of sound and fury signifying nothing. Mm-hmm. So I have Revenge of the Sith at eight because that at least gives us uh, one of my favorite Star Wars facts, which is that um, Darth Vader chooses to live on the planet that Obi-Wan dismembered him on. <laughs> Listen, you got to <laughs> stew in your anger. <laughs> Which is incredible. Vader's the most emo character based on literal textual reading of these movies. I love it so much. Um, Number seven, I have Solo, A Star Wars Story, um, Mm -hmm. which honestly was more fun than I remembered it being. Um, I I think that there are some really fun moments in it. I think at the end of the day, we it's kind of a waste of time. We don't really learn anything about Han Solo that we didn't already know. What are you talking Um, about? We learned how he got his last name Solo. (laughs) <laughs> and we, we also truly... learned that the millennium falcon is maybe a sentient droid which is weird and raises questions it does um the best part of this movie and i don't think anybody will fight with me is um omnisexual donald glover as lando donald glover as lando calrissian yes <laughs> um at number six i have a new hope uh, a New Hope is too long. The beginning of it is 20 to 30 minutes that don't actually... It, it, 
It's 20 I, to 30 minutes that we should skip. Here's the thing. I, um. I, I cannot review A Good Hope objectively. Like, it is, it, that is a movie that is so deeply scratched into my soul, and I always review it, view it with such strong nostalgia-tinted glasses that I cannot, in good faith, like, argue or discuss your ranking of, of where you place it. So... It honestly, and it honestly has a lot of similar issues to The Phantom Menace, just in terms of very wooden scripting, very wooden acting. Um, we'll talk about it Marsha, in a minute. Marsha Lucas edited it and saved oh, yeah. it. Uh, whereas, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Whereas Phantom Menace, uh, they were divorced and she had nothing to do with it. And so no, A New Hope work. is still, A New Hope is still a fun time. Um. I just I think that the jump in quality between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back is striking. Mm-hmm. Um, Astronomical. Number f- yes. At number five, I have Rogue One. It's a very good movie. Kind of all I have to say about it. Yeah, no, I I, <laughs> um, I love Rogue One. <laughs> um, I don't love that everyone dies at the end. I. I um. do. I, th- I mean, like, I'm sad, but I do kind of love that everyone dies at the end. This is actually a big disagreement I have with Marin, who hates that everyone dies at the end. Uh, well, I mean... But I, like, I think they need to very... die. They have to die at the end. No. Yeah. I agree with you, it's a but movie. I also hate it. Sure, I mean, like, it's, it's I get, sad. Like, I get, but... I get what it's doing. Yeah. I appreciate it. I don't think there's a world in which that movie ends any differently, and I think it would have felt cheap if it had. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can be happy about it. Right, yeah, yeah. You respect it. <laughs> yes. You just don't like it. Um, yes. Uh, number four is The Force Awakens. I love this movie very much. Um, I will tell you that my numbers two, three, and four jostle for different positions, basically based on how I'm feeling at any particular moment. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote this list, The Force Awakens was at number four. Return of the Jedi is at number three. I think mm. I deeply appreciate I deeply appreciate that Return of the Jedi gets to the point. Like we start with the action. There is no preamble. Both Empire and A New Hope have like prologues that we have to get through before you, the rest of the movie starts. We've talked about this a little and I don't want to rehash this fight, but you <laughs> think that the entire Battle of Hoth is preamble, and I'm like, that's nonsense. I do. Yes. That is <laughs> that is an hour of the movie and it's fantastic. It's not preamble. It's part of the story. Uh but like it's you're, not you're really, right that, though. Well, you're you're right that Return of the Jedi is like, what are we doing here? Well, we're we're telling two stories. We're telling how do we get we're... Han out of Carbonite and then we're blowing up the Death Star. It's uh, like we're executing a really poorly constructed just, plan. Just really badly constructed heist. <laughs> Every time something um, new happens, you're like, oh, they've got it figured out. It's wheels and wheels. And then it's like, oh, they don't have anything figured out. Nope, they don't. And I love it. They're all idiots. It's great. <laughs> um, uh, at number two, I have The Empire Strikes Back. Um, again, the I I happen to think that... One of the reasons that The Empire Strikes Back frequently is at the top of most people's lists is because it is such a wild improvement over A New Hope, which is a good and entertaining movie. But The Empire Strikes Back is more emotionally complex. It is a more difficult and I think a more rewarding watch. I think the characters are doing more interesting things. I think it asks more of the viewer. And I think for all of those reasons, it ends up getting maybe a little bit more credit than it necessarily deserves. 
fun fact, it's also the movie that introduced both the Imperial March and uh, Han and Leia's romance theme, which are just John Williams working at his best. One of the things that I love about Empire Strikes Back, which ends up echoing into The Force Awakens, is that while Empire Strikes Back is very much about the development of the relationship between Han and Leia, I think it also does a really good job of showing you why they should not be together. <laughs> um, yeah. That is they like, are too- oh yeah, he was my fun college boyfriend. We did a lot of drugs. It's a good it's thing like, I never oh no, married tra- him. <laughs> like, trauma bonding is not the same as love. Yeah, we, However, we partied a lot and it was fun, and then I grew up a little bit and uh, we went our separate ways. However, I deeply love both of those characters, and I also love that we get to grapple with the fact that they were two people that maybe should not have ended up together, but now they have to de- like they have to deal with the consequences of that and with the choices that they've made. Now they're co-parenting. So, yes. <laughs> um, but yes, I am truly mystified by the fact that Han Solo has been turned into like the ultimate cool guy when if you watch those movies... He is such a dweeby wife guy. He's, he's and a I, goober, and that's what makes he, him great. <laughs> I was going to say, that is what we should be embracing. Yeah. He's like, um, he's, and, he's got a junker of a car that never starts. <laughs> <laughs> he is an absolute simp for Leia, and it's so good. Um, but yeah, and then at the top of my list, I have The Last Jedi. I think that the the Last Jedi takes everything that the movies up till that were trying to say, and synthesizes it in an interesting way that also asks the viewer to really engage with the themes that we have uh, been looking at. Well, um, like the, the the through line for both of us with our one and two is that they are sort of, they're the most complex of these movies. They're the ones that make us that require more thought, that require a little more audience work because it's not just good guys and bad guys i mean like like empire strikes back is also clearly good guys and bad guys but there's a lot more going on there too um the last jedi is also very um reminiscent of ratatouille in that the 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 central theme of ratatouille is that a good cook can come from anywhere and the central theme of the last jedi is that anyone can be special right which then uh rise of skywalker literally throws away by making ray the granddaughter of Palpatine, because everyone's got to be related to someone important in the Star Wars universe. It's a big, Correct. it's a big giant universe with billions of planets and trillions of life forms. And uh, there are five important families. Um, but before that, uh, we had Ryan Johnson saying that because no one is special, anyone can be special. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really, um, pretty revolutionary thing for a star wars property to say yes yes it made the universe feel big and that's what i want star wars like star wars is at its best when it feels specific and when it feels big like you know but like the the first the first time you go to moss Eisley in a new hope you're like what is this insane place there's a literal werewolf and a devil and a walrus man <laughs> and they don't allow droids in here are they racist against droids is droid racism a thing in this universe what's going on uh this dude has a death sentence in 12 systems don't know what that even means uh but it's big and specific and then every single time we meet someone that we've already met before, the world feels smaller and smaller and smaller. 
So while I think that Canto Bite is a knock against The Last Jedi because it, it doesn't quite work how it should, it is an example of making the world feel big again and feel unique again. Like, there's a casino for rich assholes. Of course the universe has that. Because of course there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, gun not just gun runners, but weapons manufacturers selling their weapons to both sides. Obviously. Uh, the Candle Bite sequence works better for me every time I watch it. The first time I saw the movie, it really felt out of place to me. But I, I feel like I am better able to kind of see how it fits into the whole movie. Um, I, it's it's one of those things that like I get what it's trying to do, but it's never it's never quite gelled with me in the way that it like it it it's always that thing that I'm like oh if I have to go to the bathroom I'll go to the bathroom during Canto Bite. Uh, and then the last thing I want to just say real quick, and we don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, but Andor is the best Star Wars. Like it just is. <laughs> it. It does everything that we've been talking about as strengths of these movies. Um, it even does, like, it even out prequels the prequels in showing you all of the, like, political maneuvering and trade federation stuff and actually making that, like, compelling. And coherent. Um, and coherent. Um, Mon Mothma is a character that I have always loved but never really been able to articulate why. And... That show is definitely like, here is why she is the best. Right. The reason we haven't um, been able to articulate why is that she is in three scenes of Return of the Jedi, and everyone's just like, who is this awesome lady? And that's, that's all we ever get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Stellan Skarsgård's speech in like episode seven or whatever, uh, when he's talking to the informant in the ISB, is just incredible. Get him an Emmy for that. Uh, um, and the fact that it comes right at, like, it is a career-high monologue delivery for Stellan Skarsgård that comes moments after a career-high delivery of a monologue for Andy Serkis, and that both of those things happen in the same episode <laughs> is insanity. Yeah, that that is an excellent, um, excellent episode. But um, yeah, also just bouncing back to what I said earlier about the Ewoks, one of the things that Andor does that I really loved is show um, what happens when the Empire gets in over its head with indigenous peoples and, mm. like, its disrespect for indigenous cultures and the ways that that ultimately um, hurts them. I... And I was very worried about that episode with the, like, the Comet Festival mm -hmm. and the... Um, the, breaking the, the dam and all of yes i was very worried about that and i thought that they um i thought that they treated that very respectfully um i think star wars sometimes has a problem drawing real life parallels uh or parallels between like real life cultures and fictional ones and i had a fear <laughs> pico or pete sorry i haven't done that in a while uh, i had a well we're talking star wars well back in high school right <laughs> yes um i had a fear of how that was gonna go um but i thought it ended up being a really powerful statement that again makes you read the sequence on endor with the ewoks as like oh this is another example of the empire not understanding who they're fighting and the fact that they are 
not taking them seriously enough uh, means that, you know, it's to their detriment. Coming at it from a different direction, one thing that I really enjoyed about Andor was that it it takes the time to build space fascism. And it, it shows, like, the gears of that, right? Like, it it shows the, the low-level enforcers and the people who just quietly acquiesce to carry on about their days. Um, one thing that bugged me a lot about Rise of Skywalker is that we go from— it, from Force Awakens to Rise of Skywalker, we go from, like, the New Republic is a thing, and now there's this whole First Order, or whatever that's about, to apparently the First Order is just everywhere on every planet all the time. It's like, that took two years. What? But also a bunch of people are, are like, happy and willing to rise up. It It always felt like the First Order in, especially in Rise of Skywalker, was as big as the empire without ever having put in the work to get that big whereas in in the original trilogy you're like well it's the empire they've obviously been around for a while they've had time to like make themselves the big like the fascist government and in andor you see how that gets built and you see you know the both like the gears of it who it grinds down and how the people who are being ground down by it you know, acquiesce to it because, well, you just got to live your lives. Um, and you don't know all the bad things that the Empire's doing. Um, and there's the whole ISB apparatus preventing you from learning everything and doing everything it can to quash any dissent. Uh, so that that whole, like, how fascism gets made, I thought was really, uh, and unfortunately, useful right now. Andor really said, you sure you want to say the Empire was right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You, you sure that's a stance you want to take? Well, and also it's like, oh, the, the, the people who are most in the bag for the Empire are this dweeby little space cop and this uh, <laughs> insane ISB woman who uh, that actor did an incredible job showing just, you know, a particular personality type. Uh, which makes a compelling villain and not a not someone that people would want to be like. That's all I have to say. All right, I think that's all I've got too. So, uh, hopefully, you all enjoyed this prolonged Star Wars discussion. I don't know. <laughs> I I had a really good time having this discussion. We haven't gone deep on Star Wars, I think, ever on this podcast. Ever, uh, yeah. And I I haven't had this deep of a Star Wars conversation in years. So uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Our next episode of Did You Do Your Homework is going to come out in a month. But in two weeks, we've got an episode of our sister show, Love Ya, starring Martha and my wife, Marin, who are talking about the, I believe it's a Netflix original called Your Place or Mine. Uh, that's going to come out on Valentine's week, which is pretty good timing for that. Uh, Huzzah! Then we've got a really fun crossover episode for our next Did You Do Your Homework with the podcast Catching Up David. Uh, we've had a couple crossovers with them. We love chatting with them. Uh, and we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite doctor, Dr. Acula. Uh, <laughs> it is the Too Many Draculas episode. Uh, did you do your homework? Catching up David crossover spectacular. We're not sure exactly which Dracula movies we're watching, but the clear consensus pick appears to be Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, a great movie that everyone loves. <laughs> <laughs> apparently uh so 
We're going to watch that and some other Draculas and talk about Draculas. Just watch a couple. Yeah. Just watch a couple. (laughs) Pick pick your favorites. Bela Lugosi, Christopher Lee, uh, either Nosferatu, (laughs) you know. Uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah. Uh, All right. So that is going to do it for the next couple releases on this feed. Um, speaking of, you can find us, obviously you're listening to us, so you found us somewhere. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. Please rate and review us. That's how the algorithm gremlins uh, bump us into other people's feeds. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at DYDYHpodcast. Uh, I guess we're also on Facebook. Martha, that one's kind of on you if we are or aren't. Question mark. All right. Uh, you would search for Did You Do Your Homework podcast to find us there. Uh, and you we can... have a page. It just hasn't been super active recently. <laughs> sure. It's Facebook. It's bad. Uh, and you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, Martha, what are you plugging? Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter because I'm still there because I don't know any better. Um, Twitter and Instagram at Magical Martha. I also have a Hive and a co-host account because sure. Um I write a newsletter, uh, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Issues of that come out whenever I feel like it. My most recent one was all about my top 10 movies of 2022, which was also our last podcast episode. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, because I'm never leaving that dumpster fire. Uh, and you can also find my letterbox at P Romberg, P R H O M B E R G. Uh, that's public. So if you want to follow me there, you can follow me there. Uh, I've started not only reviewing, but rating movies. Uh, so you can finally get off my back about that. Hooray. (laughs) And that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, class dismissed.